Welcome to the Library Service Safety and Security Podcast with Dr. Steve Albrecht. I'm the very same Dr. Steve Albrecht, and this podcast is sponsored by Library 2.0 and produced by the founder of Library 2.0, Steve Hargadon. My topic for this half hour is the concept of civility in the library workplace, and not the civility between patrons and staff, but between staff members, between employees to employees and to supervisors to supervisors and supervisors and leaders to the employees. Civility in the workplace is my conversation with you today. The last several articles and podcasts that I put up have been around some of the work that my father, Carl Albrecht, that's Carl with a K, K-A-R-L, Albrecht has done in his work in not only customer service, but in the concept of what he calls social intelligence. He wrote a book several years ago for Josie Bass called Social Intelligence, and it is the concept of civility in the workplace where we think about the definition of social intelligence as being your ability to read the room and say or do the right thing based on who's in the room. If your coworker who you've worked with for years is in the room, it's probably a different relationship than if your boss, who you hardly know since he or she's only been there a few weeks, is in the room. It's completely different. If it's a brand new employee, your relationship with that person or your interaction with that person is much different than with a coworker that you've worked with for years and years. Social intelligence says whether it's patrons, coworkers, bosses, each other, we read the room, we say or do the right thing based on who's in the room with us. There's a bit of a misconception about the concept of social intelligence. Some people seem to refer to it as just being nice or just being kind to other people or just being polite. It's more than that. It's a deeper understanding where we look at the context and the content of the situation we're in. We look at who's in the room and what these people mean to us what our previous interactions have been, what our relationships have been, if any, and we act accordingly. This is a critical concept for helping employees set boundaries for their behavior. You may be able to hug somebody who's a really close friend who you haven't seen in a long time who who pops into the room, as opposed to somebody who's a total stranger to you, you would never do that. Some people that we work with, unfortunately, have a hard time recognizing good boundaries. They may say or do certain things, jokes, comments, touching, language, that perhaps they don't mean offense, but they can create offense in other people by not reading the room, not doing or saying the right thing based on who is in the room. So the concept of social intelligence is more than just being nice or more than just paying attention to what's going on in the room. It's reading the room. It's saying or do the right thing based on who is in the room. So for that concept, my dad has created, besides the social intelligence book that he wrote, something he called the social intelligence code for business, and he calls it the code of civility. And we'll talk about these 10 behaviors that make up the code of civility. I'll talk about each of the 10 first, and then we will look at each of the 10 individually. The first one for the social intelligence code for business or the code of civility is our leaders model and encourage a culture of civility. Number two is we treat each other with respect, courtesy, and consideration. Number three, we value the small courtesies of everyday work life. Four, we value the diversity in people, ideas, and points of view. Five, we can disagree agreeably. We don't personalize or emotionalize our differences. Six, we resolve our misunderstandings maturely without accusing, blaming, or finger pointing. We cooperate, for number seven, we cooperate between work groups, not putting fences between us. Number eight, we play fair, not letting destructive politics divide us. Number nine, we share information 
and knowledge, understanding that these are valuable assets in the workplace. And the last one, number 10, the code of civility, the social intelligence code for business. We expect each other to act as good citizens of the organization. If you look at each of these 10 behaviors in print, you'll see that each of the 10, one through 10, has 10 words in each of the 10. So number one has 10 words, number two has 10 words, etc. The total of all 10, obviously, is 100 words. So in 100 words, my dad has managed to capture what he believes is the concept of the code of civility, civility in the workplace. Let's look at each one, starting with principle number one, our leaders model and encourage a culture of civility. It's all about what people do, especially at the leadership positions, all the way down to the person in charge, the frontline supervisors, in terms of modeling appropriate workplace behavior, appropriate workplace interactions start at the top, appropriate workplace boundaries begin at the library level at the top in the leadership. How we treat each other at the top level sets the standard for how other people treat each other in the organization. It is up to supervisors to create the type of environment where people are respected, valued, appreciated, praised, at every level in the organization, and they set standards of behavior, standards of civility, and standards of interaction between employees that have to do with respect and consideration for each other. Socially intelligent leaders use the concept of praising people in, in public and giving them feedback in private. So, so praise comes out in a public way in staff meetings and in conversations in front of other employees or in group meetings, uh, in, in staff days and staff development days, things like that, where we catch employees doing the right thing over the span of the year and, and memorialize that with a, a discussion in front of the larger group. But feedback is what we give to employees in private. So some supervisors have this backwards. They give employees praise in private when they're having a one-on-one -on -one conversation and then they criticize them in front of other employees. That is the wrong approach and it is backwards. We don't use the word criticism anyway, we use the word feedback. Good coaches, good leaders provide feedback to their employees, not criticism. And they do it in private, not in front of other people. So praise is a valuable part of encouraging a culture of civility. We can praise each other as employees, we can expect to get praise, should expect to get praise from our supervisors. So when new employees come into an organization, principle number one, the code of civility, our leaders model and encourage a culture of civility. It starts at the top and it starts at the very beginning of the employee relationship in the organization. Principle number two in the code of civility, we treat each other with respect, courtesy, and consideration. Think of all these three together, how important they are. Respect is an abstract concept. Courtesy is an abstract concept, and consideration is an abstract concept. How do we operationalize, how do we make these things concrete when we say we treat people with respect? It's eye contact. It's returning messages and phone calls and texts. It's responding to somebody when they ask for help immediately or as soon as we can. Courtesy is, is being polite, being tactful, saying or doing the right thing, recognizing people's boundaries, recognizing employees have different boundaries with you and, and you have different boundaries with them. And consideration says, we're all in this together. Our function is to make it easy on the taxpayer, the library patron, to be able to do business and come in and enjoy our organization. But we also take care of each other. We're considerate of each other. We consider each other's feelings as we work every day. Think about the concepts of respect and courtesy and consideration when it's connected to an idea around toxicity versus nourishing behavior. 
toxic behavior is is sarcastic and it's it's rude and it's it's mean and interrupts people. Nourishing behavior is supportive, and we value people, and we we get um, our best efforts from them by giving our own best efforts to them. And we think about respectful conversations, even if our opinions differ on how to work on a different project or how to handle a certain patron situations or even even politically or other things in our personal life that people talk about sometimes at work. Even if we disagree, we can disagree constructively. We can disagree with respect. We can disagree with consideration towards the other person's point of view, even if it's not necessarily the same as ours. Toxic people, toxic employers, employees, no fun to work around. Nourishing employees, nourishing employers, good place to work. That's what principle two is all about. Principle three, the code of civility, we value the small courtesies of everyday work life. Think of things as easy as saying thank you when someone gives you something, saying thank you when a, a coworker helps out with a situation. Getting a thank you from a supervisor or boss for help or support with a project or with a project involving a patron. The small courtesies of everyday work life, including holding the door for people and, and giving people objects and coffee cups and things like that and saying, hey, thanks for that, I appreciate it when you, you got me a fresh cup of coffee. Even the little things, smiling, waving, saying please and thank you to people, stuff that's really connected to just an overall sense of politeness. Sometimes under the stress of the workday, we forget those things. We say, I'm too busy to be nice or too busy to, to have small talk. Well, small talk sometimes makes people connect and small talk makes the world go around. And sometimes it's just a way for us to share little bits of information about our lives at work or our personal lives and that connects us to other people. So the small courtesies of life, the small courtesies of everyday work life, connecting with other people, doing the little things, saying please and thank you and making eye contact and smiling at folks and being generally pleasant to be around should not be um, wiped out by a, a stressful day or wiped out by the fact that you're in a bad mood when you got there. Good employees and especially good supervisors can say, you know what, I'm going to check my problems at the door. It is up to me to take care of my coworkers. And if I'm a supervisor, I really need to take care of my coworkers and to work collectively, even though I don't feel all that great or my energy level is low, I'm not going to let those types of things invade my relationships with my coworkers and my bosses. Principle number four in the Code of Civility, we value the diversity in people, ideas, and points of view. So starting at the most important part, we value the diverse employee group that we work with. Sexual orientation, race, gender, all kinds of things, age that we look at are in, in the human resources world are called protected classes. And everybody that works in a library organization, any organization, is part of a protected class. Age kicks in as a protected class over 40. Sexual orientation, race, gender, country of origin, political beliefs, veteran status, pregnancy, uh, psychological or physical disabilities, seen or otherwise, uh, veteran status, all these things are what are called protected classes. And we value the contribution that people make when they come from a diverse world into our diverse workplace. We value the diversity of ideas, things that we hear from other people that may test what we think is what we usually do around here. There's a concept in, in, in meeting behavior which absolutely drives me crazy, which is called idea killing. And if you work around idea killers, these are people who shoot down your good idea before it even takes off from the little airport. So you say, what if we try this? Or how about we do that? And they'll say something, oh, that's a dumb idea. Or we've tried that before, it didn't work. Or you, you're new here, and that's not how we do things. I do not allow idea killing in meetings that I run. I say to the idea killers, you will have your time and space to 
object to what you don't like the, about a certain idea, but I'm not going to let you do it in the beginning. We will talk about it at the end of the discussion about the validity and value of the idea because idea killers can really put a big damper on successful meetings. I don't allow idea killing in meetings, and if you're a leader, either should you. And we value the diversity of different points of view, which is whether it's politically or socially or the work culture itself, there are people that will disagree with you on how to do things and why to do things and where to do things and when to do things, and they will have their own political, social beliefs about how life is currently. You don't have to agree with them. You just have to listen to them and say they're entitled to their point of view just like I'm entitled to my point of view, and it doesn't ruin our relationship. It doesn't arm the friendship. It doesn't impact the work friendship or work relationship in a neg negative way where you can't get along with each other. We've all seen examples of people who give each other the silent treatment at work over dumb things, disagreements about small work issues and things that they should put aside and say, you know, we're all in this together. Our function is to take care of each other and be able to take care of the patrons, and we can't do that if we're not talking, we're not, we're not speaking, we're giving each other the silent treatment, we're not, we're not participating as adults in a professional environment. Principle number four, we value the diversity in people, ideas, and different points of view in our workspace. Point number five, principle number five, is kind of related to what I just talked about. We can disagree agreeably. We don't have to personalize or emotionalize our differences. We have seen people fight dirty in workplace arguments. We've seen people call each other names that are racially motivated or based on this person's appearance or looks or weight or hair or how they dress or any other type of, of issue where they can be mean to another person by picking on that person, especially on those issues that the person may not be able to control. We look at people who argue and are sarcastic and rude in, in discussions, either in meetings or in, in open discussions in the workplace. Those are folks we don't want to be around. And we can create a lot of emotionality, a lot of negative emotionality, by allowing those people, especially supervisors, allowing those people to flourish, allowing those people to talk in a toxic way to other employees. We cannot allow that. We cannot allow people to personalize arguments or emotionalize arguments and pick on other people just because they disagree. That doesn't mean we have to be robots. It doesn't mean we have to have a sense of the workplace where we stare at our shoes and we don't engage. But there is a thing called the gas pedal and a thing called the brake pedal. And oftentimes in coaching conversations, I remind employees who are having troubles in how they communicate and engage with other people, including patrons and coworkers or bosses, that they probably need to step on the brake pedal more than the gas pedal. Less of their conversation is probably better than more of it. Step on the, on the brakes and know when to rescue your relationships with other coworkers and to save your career. So we look at agreeing disagreeably, or vice versa, disagreeing agreeably. We look at the concept of how we can have different points of view and still be able to function together in the workplace. We look at our ability to simply say, I won't engage with this person if I know it's going to make me upset or this person's going to get upset. Um, I can simply say, I hear what you're having to say or I hear your, your point of view and, and wrap up the conversation. So. It's easy to get into conflicts and arguments and disagreements sometimes where we think we are right and the other person is wrong, when in reality we both have the points of view that could be correct depending on the context of the situation. It's not always about winning the argument. So when we look at people who can disagree agreeably, they are folks that we can talk with and have different points of view and we don't leave the discussion angry or furious that, that we didn't get our point across or that we were, we were talked down or we were belittled or something like that where it's not, we weren't able to communicate successfully. We look at people 
who can understand multiple points of view as, as having a diverse view of thought. Those are folks that tend to be successful communicators and successful coworkers in the workplace. Principle number six in the Code of Civility, we resolve misunderstandings maturely without accusing, blaming, or finger pointing. It's easy under stress and under the stress of the workday and, and trying to help patrons or trying to complete a project, especially on deadline, for people to get short and snappy with each other. Uh, that when things go wrong, it's easy to point fingers and, and, and look, look for who to blame. And in situations, we can accuse people falsely of having screwed up something that they had nothing to do with. We can accuse people of, of trying to ruin what we're trying to do when in reality, they're just trying to get their job done as well. So in high performance work cultures, people make mistakes, they apologize them, they correct them, we move on. We don't, we don't score keep, we don't keep a running record in our head about how, how many mistakes this person makes, we don't run to a boss and, and criticize the other person without knowing the context of the situation. We try to work collegially, we try to work cooperatively, we try to work collaboratively. Think about people that you work with who own their mistakes. Think about people that you work with who don't own their mistakes. People who own their mistakes say, yep, that was me, shouldn't have done it, made a mistake, a value judgment, a, a wrong decision, an error in, in what I was supposed to do, I miscalculated, won't happen again, I'll fix it, I'll correct the error, error. sorry it happened. People that don't own their mistakes rationalize, deny, blame, finger point, and, and will come up with all sorts of minimizing phrases like it wasn't that big of a deal or it didn't really matter that much to justify what they have done and when they have made an error. Successful people and successful organizations don't focus on who is right all the time, but what is right. And sometimes if they make a mistake, they say, sorry, it won't happen again, and they fix the problem, and here's the other part, it doesn't happen again. They learn, they take responsibility, they take ownership, they keep their promises going forward that these things won't happen again, and they tend not to. Principle number seven, we cooperate between work groups, not putting fences between us. Think about how certain departments in any organization, whether it's a library or any part of city or county government, there are natural, quote, enemies where people don't get along. The finance department is sometimes known as an enemy because it's in the compliance business. There are forms and purchase orders and, and billing sheets and invoices and things to be fixed or corrected or modified before the, the bills can be paid. Human resources have, has that kind of um, um, compliance function to it. It is known for policies and procedures and discipline and termination and things like that that sometimes can be perceived negatively. So it's easy sometimes to put up fences and engage what, what one longtime uh, business person said, grenade wars, where we toss grenades back and forth between our respective departments or work groups or work teams. It is easy sometimes for entire departments in an organization not to speak to each other, and that's ridiculous. It's easy for teams of people, two, three, four, five, ten people, not to speak to another team of two, three, four, five, or ten people for a long time. Many times as a consultant, I come in and try to figure out how to get these groups of small or large groups to communicate and get them back on track in terms of their work performance and work communication. And what we discover in the conversation is we can't really remember, they can't really remember what the argument was about in the first place. They can't really remember what the problem was in the first place. And so they have been angry at each other for weeks, months, or even years over things that are A, not that big of a deal, and B, they can't remember what it was anyway. It is easy for us to break into subgroups and create sort of an us versus them modality and a mentality where we don't communicate and 
In the worst case scenario, we actually kind of sabotage each other. We're late with products or services. We don't help people get what they need to get done in order to do their work, and they do the same for us so that we cannot do our work. They hold things back. They don't allow us to complete projects and things like that where there's a, a, a choke point, a, a bureaucracy that they have created intentionally so that we can't get our work done. Each of us works for ourselves. Each of us works for a boss. Even the library director has bosses like city managers or county board of supervisors or even the, the taxpayers and the patrons. And then we look at how we fit into the larger group. Sometimes I think it is useful, and I have done this in, in team conflict situations, to break out the organizational chart, make sure it's up to date, and then look at it and say, where do you see yourself fitting in on this organizational chart? Where does your department fit into other departments? And, and here's an interesting part. Look how some of these departments report to the library director, or look how some of these departments report to other departments. Look at these cross-relationships. We're on the same level. We're on the same, same time in terms of, of how we do tasks and who we do tasks for is on the same level. And ultimately, we report to the taxpayer. We report to the elected officials. We report to the city manager. We report to the county uh, administrative officer, that type of thing. So when we look at work groups, it's not about about enemies on the other side of the fence. It's about how we can do things collaboratively and collegially. Even though we may disagree with somebody on an individual basis, we say the bigger picture is that I can work successfully with my team and that person's team as well. Principle number eight, the Code of Civilities, similar to the previous one, we play fair, not letting destructive politics divide us. Politics, not from the standpoint of who is in a national office, but the politics of office politics. That comes into things like gossip. That comes into things like, like favoritism between supervisors and employees. Um, certain people in certain departments get better assignments or better work shifts or better work hours or things like that, job duties, because of favoritism. We look at office politics created around harassment or bullying. We look at office politics that have allowed gossip to flourish so much that people don't trust each other, that there's a lack of communication because a certain number of people gossip about other folks. If you're a manager or supervisor, you can directly impact the amount of gossip by calling people out in a coaching situation, bringing them into the office and shutting the door and saying, look, when I hear you gossip about other departments or other employees or I see the after effects of gossip where people aren't speaking to each other. I'm telling you now this has to stop. And we can give feedback to employees who do those things to say we do not allow that type of environment because it creates toxicity. Gossip ruins friendships, ruins relationships, creates significant trust issues. People don't talk to each other because oftentimes what is gossip, gossiped about is not necessarily true. So when we look at playing fair, we allow people to succeed, promote in the organization if they want to, not based on favoritism or any other reason besides job skills and testing skills and interview skills, the usual reasons we promote people. And we also allow for different points of view that office politics doesn't shut people down and say, well, I'm not going to listen to your perspective. And when we talk about office politics, it starts at the leadership level. It's a monitoring of the basic communications between employees to make sure that it's reasonable and appropriate and civil and, and empathic and patient and humane. And we don't let politics divide our teams, our employees, or our groups. The office politics, not the national politics. Principle number nine, we share information and knowledge, understanding that they are valuable assets in our workplace, valuable assets in our organization. In the modern age, lots of information can be shared instantaneously across multiple platforms, texts, emails, voicemails, 
small group meetings, coaching meetings, staff meetings, large staff development programs, lots of ways for us to share information. But really it starts with human beings talking to each other over the phone, face-to-face, uh, in, or in small groups about what's going on in the organization. And we don't compartmentalize, we don't silo information, we don't use one department to keep information from another department. Um, I'll give you an example. For many years I have taught a negotiating program called Added Value Negotiating, based on a book I wrote with my dad back in the 90s called Added Value Negotiating. In, that, uh, in the exercises I do for that course, we oftentimes will have a external negotiation involving somebody outside the business or outside the agency or, or entity or organization, and we'll also do an internal negotiation. And sometimes during the internal negotiation, the people that are negotiating internally between departments will not share information with each other. Costs of things, budget amounts, things like that. And I say, well, wait a minute, why aren't you sharing information? They say, well, they're not entitled to it. And what happens is they treat the internal coworker, the internal department team member, the same way they would treat an outside vendor or outside relationship, which is odd to me. We're on the same team trying to do the same thing. We say, no, we don't share information because they're not entitled to it, is the wrong approach. Within the boundaries of confidentiality, within the boundaries of, of proprietary information about things which should not be released publicly, we should be sharing information between departments and teams and individuals that serves the greater good for the organization. Lastly, principle number 10, we expect each other to act as good citizens of the organization. We expect each other to act as good citizens of the organization. And I've talked about this in my service programs. When I talk about customer service, one of the discussion points we make is that every level in the organization, whether you're a director on down to the, a part-time employee or somebody who's not worked there very long and somebody who's worked there for many years, we are all ambassadors of the library. Sounds kind of corny, that's true, but we are representing an organization the patron comes in, they don't care how long you've been there, they don't care what your job title is, they don't care what your job duties are, they just want your help. And when we look at being an ambassador, when you're wearing a shirt or a name tag, you represent the organization, let's say you're driving a truck on behalf of the library to deliver books or the bookmobile or you're making deliveries to other, other uh, city or county buildings and you're in a vehicle that's marked library on the side or with your city or county name on the side, people see you as a representative of that agency. And you say, well, I'm just doing this. I'm, I'm no big shot. Why, why, do, why do they care? And the answer is because they see you as a representative for the agency, and therefore your behavior is being watched all the time. If you've worked in any public contact job, including at the library, you know that customers, patrons, taxpayers, visitors, vendors watch you all the time. And they see what you're doing and how you're doing it and why you're doing it. And they're always looking at people, especially in public government, think how much we look at cops and firefighters and public works employees all the time to see what they are doing. You are an, an ambassador for the organization. You're expected to work as a good citizen for the organization, to be collaborative and collegial in front of the library patron and also behind the scenes so that we know that when we are working together on projects on behalf of the library, on behalf of our leadership team, on behalf of the patrons, we're doing it as collaboratively as we can and we're doing it in such a way where we say this is our library, we support our programs, it's not the library, it's our library. One of the things my dad talked about in his social intelligence book was an acronym called SPACE. And this may be useful for you just to remember as we think about the concept of social intelligence. And I'll have a future podcast about the concept of social intelligence based on his, his writings in just a bit. Uh, he talks about the five keys to social intelligence and he uses an acronym called SPACE. SPACE starts with S or situational awareness, P for presence, 
A for authenticity, C for clarity, and E for empathy. Think about how powerful these things are. S, situational awareness. I read the room and I say or do the right thing based on who's in the room. P, presence, I'm there. I'm not distracted by my phone or my off-the-job issues or my computer screen. I'm engaging with patrons, I'm engaging with coworkers, I'm engaging with bosses, and I am in the moment. A, authenticity. I know my work, I know my job, I know my job duties, my job details. I'm comfortable with my, my certifications and degrees and knowledge and work experience and life experience. All comes down to how I serve my organization, how I serve the patrons, how I serve my bosses and coworkers. C, clarity. I'm clear in my communications on paper, face-to-face, -face, over the phone, over the counter, when I'm engaging with coworkers, engaging with patrons. I'm clear in my instructions as a supervisor and leader. I'm clear in my requests and how I designate and delegate projects to people. And the last one is empathy. And empathy has all to do with, with how we treat each other, and it starts with self-empathy. And from my perspective, empathy has a lot to do with patience. How we treat each other, how we treat the patron, how we treat our coworkers and bosses is really rooted in patience. Empathy is different than sympathy. Sympathy says, oh my God, that's horrible. I feel just as bad as you do about the situation, emotionally, as opposed to empathy, which is, I feel your pain. I hear your, the pain in your voice. I hear how difficult the situation is for you, and I'm empathic. Sometimes when we're sympathetic, we can lose perspective. When we are empathic with everybody, besides, you know, we, certainly we're sympathetic for close friends and family members and things like that, but we can be empathic to strangers, empathic to people that we deal with and say, I hear you. Tell me more about the situation. I'm sorry that happened. Let's make sure we fix it so it doesn't happen again. Empathy is a big part of social intelligence. So think about those five keys, situational awareness, presence, authenticity, clarity, and empathy, S-P-A-C-E. So thanks for your time and attention when I talked about the code of civility, these 10 behaviors, 100 words for civility. So my thanks to the producer of the Library Service Safety and Security Podcast, Steve Harganon. For more information, visit the Library 2.0 website at library20.com. Until next time, I'm Dr. Steve Albrecht. Thanks for listening to the Library Service Safety and Security Podcast.